I mean, if only we had 6,000 plus years of human recorded history and some book we could turn to that would give us some insight into these things, what's wrong with us and where we should look for hope. Because it turns out that we are going to be thrown into the world, confused, angry, naked, and ashamed. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys today? Excellent. Yep, doing great, Nick. So who's ready to wish a happy 190th birthday to Jonathan, the blind, gay, sex-crazed giant tortoise who is now <laughs> the oldest to have ever lived? I, say this, see, I've not read this. <laughs> Jonathan, the blind, gay, sex-crazed giant tortoise. Don't play dumb with us, Matt. You've been, you've been, don't you've been don't planning, know. you've been planning these celebrations for weeks. I know. Yes. <laughs> What what's what's Ray? I haven't. What is this about? There's a gay. There's a gay tortoise. Who's... This is the oldest tortoise allegedly that has ever lived. Although of course they don't know when he was born. But he's That's right. Have you met? Have you met every tortoise in the world? <laughs> a very old tortoise who lives on this island with a couple others, and apparently he has indiscriminate sex with them, which I think is actually fascinating because nobody cares except these advocates that this is a quote <laughs> gay tortoise. And it really, Do they know that he's identifying as a male? Well, Can this he, is the maybe, thing. He has he's sex with, well, he's, he's, what he really <laughs> we're is. Having, is we're actually having this conversation. What he really right? is is bi. <laughs> it's a bi tortoise. Jonathan is bi. But it really <laughs> puts the lie to the whole, you know, gay is actually a cultural identifier that needn't have anything to do with sex thing. Because as far as I can tell, the only marker of Jonathan's, quote, gayness is that there's <laughs> another male turtle on the island with whom he has sex. That's it. It's just sex. That's that's what makes Jonathan gay. <laughs> I always get a kick out of the out of the argument that you know, well, look at the bonobo monkeys, or look at the yeah. look at the gay turtles. Um, so, what? Look, if the if the if the monkeys are doing it, then then what? what why should we not do it? And then the answer, Chris, well, yeah. They're, they're monkeys. No, <laughs> I mean, that's we're, the, not, what is, we're not monkeys. What? what is that terrible? What was, you know, the band, Nick, back in high school, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals. Mammals just do it like they do it in the Discovery, Discovery Channel. Channel. Yeah. I always thought that. Yeah. that. I was uncomfortable even back uh, listening to that because it's, you know, you're like, it's kind of catchy and everything. Then you start saying the words, you're like, what? What am I? What's what are we talking about here? Just you know, mammals? We, um, yeah, but it makes, you know, but this is, this is, um, yeah, it's 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 exactly like the um, gay penguins. Remember the gay penguins right. down in right. Australia right. Um, that uh, everyone was so excited about. And they're like, see, see? <laughs> <laughs> like, like they're like, uh, hmm, where do we begin with this? But um, <laughs> yes, and then wonders how did how was Jonathan's privacy, you know, uh, yeah, uh, invaded. Like, do they have an idea? They're like, look at this. Look, let's follow this guy around. He seems to be up to no good. And uh, no, he's, he's up to he's... so good. <laughs> Lord, Lord have mercy. Well, listen, guys, we need to talk about Revoice again. 
uh, the Revoice 2021 conference, which happened late last year in Texas, has just this week taken all of their talks out from behind the paywall. So anybody can go and listen to them. And just this week, our own Ann Kennedy, who you may know, Matt, has published through the Christian Research Institute an incredibly in-depth review of that entire conference. And really, I think it would be fair to say a warning about the direction in which the theology of Revoice leads. Now, there's a lot to talk about, and of course, we've talked about Revoice before and probably will again, but I thought it might be worthwhile to start here. Matt, you were there as this article was being conceived and written. Why is Revoice a big deal, and why does it deserve the scrutiny that it's getting? Uh, Revoice is a uh, an organization of, of Christians who are who identify as uh, gay or bisexual or trans, um, and yet they also uh, claim to be side B. And side B is uh, is uh, that's a, a phrase coined to describe someone who decides not to act out sexually their own orientation. So if you're if you're if you find yourself attracted to someone of the same sex, um, but then you say, okay, I'm going to own that. And say that I'm gay, but I'm not going to to have any kind of sexual encounter um, uh, that flows out of my sexual attraction. Then you'd you'd be categorized as side B because they and, consider it against the law of God. Yeah, because these are Christians, and so they right. believe that the Bible teaches that you shouldn't have sex outside of uh, heterosexual marriage. Um, and for that, you know, of course, we should commend uh, definitely commend them. Uh, as we talked about that them several times, you said already, and we don't want to lose the fact that that is a faithful decision to be commended. Uh, the 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 issue comes in, t- in two places, I think, two primary places. First, it it comes with the question of anthropology. How how is the human person to be identified? How do we know? How do you know who you are? Um, and and the grid by which those in Revoice and in Korea, and they're, they're, this is not unique to them. This is something that's endemic in our culture. Uh, this is something that, that Carl Truman writes a lot about in the, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. If you haven't read that book, get that book and read it. It's the idea that you, you, you look within, find, your, find out who and what you're most attracted to, what you desire most, and then you identify yourself uh, using a grid of sexuality or of gender, I guess. Uh, uh, are you gay? Are you bi? Are you whatever? And that that determines who you are. You you are what you desire. And the problem is that that's that's an that's an understanding of of identity that's wholly new, and it there, it has it is antithetical to um, to the scriptures. And in the Bible, you don't have you, there's no. There's no instruction for looking within to define who you are sexually, and then and then and then uh, identifying yourself that way. Are you a male? Uh, you will know that by what kind of genitalia you have and <laughs> how you, your chromosomes. Are you female? Okay. Well, then if you're male, then biblically you are uh, either to be single or to find a woman and marry the woman, and and vice versa. There's no there's no introspective decision about where my attractions lie and where my attractions lie that's who i am that's a completely secular idea that is again antithetical to scriptures second problem comes in 
and uh, and this is particular to Revoice. Uh, the first one was was something that Revoice has adopted, but that's in the wider culture. The, the second one is is particular to Revoice, and that is and it's popped up a lot in this latest com- this, in the in 2021 conference, and that is um, the increasing tendency to identify the difference between side A Christians, those are Christian, I'm sorry, I'm putting Christians there in square square quotes, side A people um, who identify as Christians, who believe that you should act out sexually on your on your desires. Some of them would say within within the realm of an actual faithful marriage. Some of them would say within a kind of faithful marriage, but it doesn't, yeah. Uh, you should act out sexually your desires. Um, side A. Uh, in in re, side B, Christians at Revoice, especially in 2021, um, although it goes back further, are increasingly saying that those who are side A are to be identified as our Christian brothers and sisters, and that the whole question of sexuality, whether we act on it or not, is is not something that will that's an essential issue. So you can come down on either side of that and still be considered uh, within the pale of orthodoxy, still still lie within the pale of orthodoxy. And the, and the problem, of course, with, with that is that, you know, what Paul says that if you, if you act uh, out sexually um, in a homosexual way or even in a heterosexual way, way with unre- unrepentantly, in a sinful way, unrepentantly, uh, that you are not able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, so I, I, don't, I don't see how there's any way possible to categorize that as, as a non-essential issue. There are some, the quote unquote side A, who are leading people and who are themselves heading down a, a road that leads to perdition. And there are others uh, who um, think that it's wrong, but there's there's no way biblically to define that that distinct or that, dif- that difference or disagreement as adiaphora or non-essential. It's an essential issue. And then the, the wider church then has to decide, what do we do with this group Revoice that if we accept their claims and 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 mainline mainstream them, uh, are we also then agreeing with this categorization of sexual difference as a non-essential difference? So uh, those two those two are the main issues, and and this conference had some some pretty strong elements pushing toward this kind of move to make it a question of audio offer, which we can talk about later. Yeah, I thought, uh, having read Anne's article, uh, not listened to all of the Revoice um, sessions twice like she did, um, but I thought that having read her article, there were a couple of things that stuck out to me. In particular was a quote that she is attributed to a guy named Robert Brault, who I don't know who that is, but used by uh, one of the presenters named Misty Irons. Uh, And the quote said this, Today I bent the truth to be kind, and I have no regret, for I am far surer of what is kind than I am of what is true. And when I read that, um, it really jumped out at me because I think that that lies somewhere close to the heart of the entire complaint that Revoice is is raising to the church, which is that in the attempt to uphold the biblical standard of sexual morality over against, um, you know, a broken and sinful world, 
that somehow there's been a cruelty, or again, back to last week, you know, violence perpetrated by this insistence on um, celibacy, chastity outside of marriage, and the marriage defined as just one man and one woman, and all other aspects being considered uh, fornication uh, or sin, uh, that somehow that's been unkind, cruel, um, a, a crushing burden, and it's not befitting, uh, you know, people of the gospel to be to be so comported. And and the problem we've mentioned before, but I just keep coming back to, and that is that that there is a uh, I forget exactly which proverb it is, but it's you know the the, the um, compassion of the wicked is cruelty. You know, this is the this is the, the this is a axiom um, that we see all throughout Scripture is that if you're actually comporting yourself in line with God and his revealed word and his law, even though that law in many ways for a sinful heart cuts, kills and ultimately condemns um, or judges because of because of the gospel, it doesn't finally condemn. And so we see in the the pain and the sort of accusation of the law that is clear in the Bible. I mean, that's what I find a little bit. I don't say um, an annoying, but it's it's the entire conversation is so clearly anti-biblical and um, and not Christian. I mean, the entire idea that you would speak about yourself with relationship as an identifying marker with with what is clearly enumerated as a sin is just such a a laughable concept. Now, these aren't laughable people. Don't hear me say that. I mean, I, I know that there's there's a lot of pain and suffering going on in here, but but the idea that we would be trying to accommodate a space that would allow us to simultaneously affirm what God is, has has articulated as a sinful condition of the human heart, affirm that is as good in any way other than having been that which was was redeemed by the blood of Christ, is is just so clearly a, 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 a not a Christian way of speaking about things. I think our bishops, you know, when they came out with their directive, I think they were gracious and kind in an actual biblical way and and decisive and direct in in pointing that out that it is not it is not in fact loving to allow you to persist in a lie. It's not loving to not um, bring the law to bear where that sin could be exposed and then brought before the cross. It's just not loving to to allow pastors to to have their sheep uh, emaciated and 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 led by led by um, into to dry and desert pastures. You know this is not past. This is not loving, and so I think that's part of the entire revoice argument to the church is it somehow the conversation when it's not solely affirmative or excuse me affirming it's not solely um sort of listening is is irrevocably and and undeniably cruel and harmful i think that's that's an argument that lies i, I think that's that's part of what was behind the genesis of the whole con conference you know part of what was um the persistent uh, accusation from people associated with revoice against you know the quote-unquote traditional position and it's one that i think we have listened to long enough to hear what is actually being argued, which is that if we uphold the biblical sexual ethic and deny, not just for sexual identity, quote unquote, but any sinful identity other than adopted son and daughter in Christ or whatever, Christian, um, then we are being uh, we we aren't being faithful to the scripture tradition and reason to which we are beholden. And so, if we we've heard this long enough, I think we've tried to accommodate some of the um, arguments, tried to be gentle and as caring and as loving as possible. But at, the, at this point, I think we have to look directly at that argument and say, 
we have a different understanding of what actually constitutes love, kindness, and cruelty. And I don't think we're going to be able to find a middle ground between the two. Right. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Misty Irons because she's she was uh, one of the featured speakers at Revoice 2021. And she spoke at the Gay Christian Network Conference in 2016. And Anne, in her article, uh, gives a number of quotes from that that talk that she gave in 2016, which indicate, you know, she might, um, she says she's side B, but there's a lot of side A stuff in what she said in 2016, including the, the idea that it's better for people who are gay to go ahead and get married and have sex with each other rather than become adulterers and fornicators. And, and uh, you know, she, she really limits, she says that it's a really bad analogy to make um, when Christians say, that or when we, we critics of Grie voice would say or critics of the LGBT community would say I'm not going to identify myself as a as a, you shouldn't identify yourself identify yourself as a gay Christian any more than you should identify yourself as a a thieving Christian or a stealing Christian she says that's a bad analogy um, because we're talking about two people who love each other no one's hurting anybody or taking anything away from each other it's it's we're talking about different expressions of sexuality. Um, the, the best analogy for homosexuality is heterosexuality. So uh, our, she says, that's a, that's a direct quote. So when you talk about people who are having, who have homosexual desires, you need to think of them uh, not as anything close to like a murderer or an adulterer or a, or a, a thief, but, but just think of them as your own, as yourself. Um, and so for that reason, she reasons that you, you go, just go, you know, look, they can, it's not maybe optimal for them to be married and have have sexual relations, but it's better than better than better than the alternative. That that's I know that she claims to be side B. That's side A, and and then her talk that she gave in two thousand twenty one as a featured speaker at, at, at Revoice. Same, she didn't say all the same things she said in two thousand sixteen, but it was but what she said in two thousand twenty one is there's no inconsistency in her position in 2021 from 2016. So and there's no sense that she ever changed her position. In fact, before Anne um, wrote the article, she did call attention to some leaders in Revoice. She, she, she sent the 2016 talk to some leaders in Revoice and said, hey, what do you have to say about this? And they kind of just said, oh, yeah, explained it away, but didn't think of it as something that would in any way damage the credibility or value of Misty Irons as a Revoice speaker, um, which goes to the point that Revoice is headed down the road of, of, of reducing the question of sexuality to a question of Adiaphora. I'll just read one quote here from Misty Irons from 2016. The Apostle Paul recognizes in the 14th chapter of Romans uh, that there are certain issues in which Christians take opposing sides, yet both sides are able to hold their position in good conscience. He says the key to having a good conscience is faith. Uh, in Romans 14, 22, verse 23, to, to verse 23, Paul writes, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God, happy is he who does not condemn himself for what he approves. Whatever is not from faith is sin. She goes on, side A, Christians believe God created them to be gay and that there is, can be nothing sinful in loving another human being. They seek to honor Christ by being in a loving, committed, same-sex relationship that also takes faith. There are gay Christians on both sides who have confided in me that they wonder if it's really the other side is correct, yet both side B doubters and side A doubters put themselves in God's hands, trusting that he will lead them in the right path. This is yet another expression of faith. So 
that's a very explicit declaration that that uh, side A people are just Christians who disagree about about sexuality the same way that I might disagree with my brother Baptist about whether we can drink wine or not. Speaking of whether or not this is a example of Christians disagreeing or whether this is a fundamentally gospel issue. The comparison was made at Revoice 2021, I believe, again, by Misty Irons to the Judaizers in Galatia that St. Paul confronted. And um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think she would have implied that the three of us would be akin to the Judaizers for seeming to require a change in somebody's life or lifestyle before becoming a Christian. Why don't you guys take a second and respond to that comparison? Yeah, so the Judaizers were uh, the Judaizers were Christians um, who were mostly ethnic, ethnically Jews, and they believed that for a Gentile to be uh, to become a, a follower of the Messiah Jesus, he would need to first become a Jew. So. You gotta be circumcised. You've gotta put yourself under the law, and then Jesus can be your Messiah. Then you can trust in Him. And um, and so Paul, of course, said no. Uh, first of all, Christ has fulfilled the old covenant, so that's not necessary. And second of all, what's required to be in uh, in in justified by the Messiah Jesus is trusting in Him and and setting your you know, repenting and turning to Him and. Uh, resting in his finished work, and so that was a huge fight in the in the early church, and it had to do with the question of of uh, largely ethnicity, but but more more than that more than that, it was it was uh, the the role of the old old uh, Jewish law and tradition, and she rightly points out, you know, the Jews had a disgust and a revulsion for Gentiles um, because they didn't keep the they didn't keep the laws. Not, not just the laws, the traditions too. So they they consider them dog. They consider them unclean. They consider them outside the the realm of acceptability. And so part of the reason why you'd want Gentiles to be circumcised and set themselves under the law is because they could then be clean. You know, they could then be become part of us um, and not not and, and separate themselves from that uh, the corruption of the Gentile world. And so she's saying when when the church looks at people who are identified as gay. And so, so you've got to you got to not identify that way before you become a Christian. That we are we are we are repeating the error of of the, of the Judaizers. Um, several things wrong with that. Um, you know, first, uh, the the Gentiles were to being a Gentile is not an inherently disordered condition. If you're if you're a Gentile, God made you a Gentile. That's not a sin. That's not you're not sinning in any way by being a Gentile. There's no there's no element of concupiscence in your Gentileness. It's just a, it's just you're you're a Gentile. You don't have to repent of your Gentileness, right? Because you're a Gentile. Uh, that that the Jews in the first century had these kinds of traditions that made something like that necessary was was not a is not an indictment of the scriptures or or it's an indictment of the of Jewish tradition. Um. So. By way, of by way of contrast, if you're if you are um, feeling yourself attracted to someone of the same sex, that is not a created condition. That's a that's a it's a condition that is a result of the fall. That's right. 
So, so for someone to say, hey, you, you, you want to repent of that because that's concupiscence, that's, it has, as our article nine says, of the nature of sin. So just, hey, confess that. Of course, you're not going to, who knows whether you ever get rid of that. I, who knows? But at least confess that as sin. And uh, like you would every other aspect of your life, offer it up to Jesus um, and then and trust in him and he'll forgive you and cleanse you and you'll be fine. But you can't, you can't cling to an aspect of your person that is disordered and and demand that the church recognize it as ordered um, or recognize it as as um, uh, as like unto the difference between Jew and Gentile. It's, it's a completely different category. It's just skewing it in that talk. Yeah, I think in addition to that, um, you know, interestingly enough, you could argue that Paul's famous statement of uh, liberation, you know, is there, there's therefore no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, in the revoice world is simply adding further aspects of sinful idolatrous slavery to that list, you know, because, because before the gospel came, remember he says in Galatians 5, like, you know, uh, do not submit, therefore, once again, to the yoke of slavery, because it's for freedom Christ has set you free. Well, what has he freed the Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female from? Not their actual lived realities, but from slavery to the, to the elevating of those realities to an ultimate position, whereas identity in Christ had put them in a penultimate uh, position, which actually allowed them fruitfulness as opposed to slavery. And so in similar ways, you know, all of a sudden we have an entire overlay on the existence of human sinfulness with not just male, female, slave or free, uh, you know, sort of ethnic categories, sexual categories or gender, uh, um, uh, ethnic categories, uh, economic categories or gender categories. Now we have uh, limitless identity categories on top. So now, um, you know, you have, you have uh, submitted yourself once again to this law of identity um, which is, you know, sort of roiling the church because it, it knows no, no, no limit. You know, when they talk about quote unquote gender minorities or quote unquote sexual minorities, I mean, you know, we've, we've looked at the proliferation of those since 2016, you know, 2016, you could talk about the, uh, even then, I believe you could still just talk about the gay straight alliance and people would understand what you meant, you know, or you talk about the, the, um, LGB community or the, um, and now, of course, we know it's LGBTQIA, uh, uh, two soul. I mean, you know, there's plus and there's always the, the, the plus just hanging out there, which is symbolic of, of the limitless laws to which you are now beholden if you are forced to determine internally what your actual sort of minority status, sexual identity, gender reality actually is. And that is, that's what lies at the sort of tragic heart of all this is that, again, the, um, like Luther says to uh, the, the, the gouty foot laughs at your doctrine, right? They, reflecting on the woman with the uh, discharge of blood for so long that we think these things are going to help us. You know, we think from a sort of a pastoral perspective, if we just affirm your um, gender confusion, you know, your sexual um, dysfunction. If we if we stop short of totally affirming it from a Christian perspective by saying, well, of course you can't do it, but we actually will go as far as we can in affirming it as a sort of constitutive aspect of your being. Well, that's just prolonging and actually um, almost 
almost exacerbating the problem because the the frustration i imagine if you were on a quote-unquote side b of this over time uh looking across the you know the the glorious divide is to is to begin to wonder um you know is it worth it why is it worth it and of course at the heart of all that wondering is not just a question about whether it's worth it but whether god has actually said i mean again it just all comes back to this is that if we we are by design. I mean, if only we had 6,000 plus years of human recorded history and some book we could turn to that would give us some insight into these things, what's wrong <laughs> with us and where we should look for hope. Because it turns out that we are going to be thrown into the world, confused, angry, naked, and ashamed, and look for whatever we can to cover ourselves. And the moment we're living in, the great covering that's being reached for is sexual identity and sort of ethnic and gender identity. And God has said that there are, uh, there are legitimate and valid, good versions of this, and there are distorted and shattered versions. And we have long recorded history of people, his people wrestling internally and externally with the, with the manifestations of this. We have articulated stances by Jesus himself about the goodness of male-female marriage. We have the Apostle Paul interacting with a pagan culture that was clearly given over to aspects of this idolatry. And we have the church, which has been imperfect, to be sure, but nevertheless upholding the perfect with respect to this for the sake of the souls and the the actual lived lives of people who think that they can heal themselves you know and yet for 12 years have been the no doctor could save her right for the and, and this is what i see happening in revoice is that you know the the confusion has only deepened in 2000 since 2016 you know we've only added genders added you know various ways of being oppressed and being um uh sort of hurt by the church and it's just this one loud complaint and you know as a pastor you want to say listen some of these complaints about the particular churches are valid some of the particular people have been very sinful but jesus came to 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 be the balm of gilead he came to to save and redeem and restore and I don't know who told you that that meant that you would wake up tomorrow and be devoid of all of your sinful desires because they were clearly wrong. But I do know that there is healing and peace that can free you from the slavery of feeling like what is actually the most important thing about you is the people with whom you want to sleep. And then feeling that internal frustration of being prohibited by that, by this, this tyrant God and these mean people in the church. Well, that's not a recipe for... Um, uh, a long obedience in the same direction as we say, you know, that's, and it's, and it's just hard to watch. It's hard to listen to. It's hard to, to deal with, not from a, from a revulsion standpoint, not from a judgmental standpoint or how dare you, but for simply from a pastoral standpoint, because you want to say, you know, who told you like in the garden, who, who told you the most important thing about you was the fact that you are of sexual confusion. Like who told you that that um, you know that that your your actual sort of quote unquote gender dysphoria was was something that you should find out how to celebrate? Like who told you these things? Because they obviously didn't love you, and they're lying to you. And this is a hard walk, this life. And there's many things that we have to wrestle with. And I'm going to walk beside you, and we're going to wrestle with this in in our own ways together. But that's the work of the church, not to somehow sit around and complain and to point out all of the various ways that we haven't been affirmed in our sinfulness. And I think that's what has always lied at the tragic heart of Revoice from its very first meeting onward. And it's only, only getting louder and worse. 
Matt, you used the word concupiscence several times a few minutes ago, and that word has come to be part of this conversation. I wonder now, as you said, our 39 articles clearly state in Article 9 that concupiscence has the nature of sin, that to say that something is just a result of concupiscence is no excuse for it. It still needs to be mortified, confessed, and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just because it's in the articles, though, I want to give you all an opportunity to say that it's not just an Anglican idea, but is that a biblical idea? How do, what do we know about concupiscence from the Bible? I mean, it's a word to describe the the inner inclination of the person. So maybe we maybe one place to to uh, go would be Romans chapter eight, where Paul describes the person whose mind is in, on the flesh. Um, who uh, is at enmity with God and he can't please God because he's his his whole his whole being is swayed a different way uh, against God or in in, in toward the self. Um, you might also go to Mark chapter seven where where, where John or Jesus talks about uh, the reason why we actually sin is because we have within the heart a, a core corruption that 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 leads us to do those things jesus isn't just talking about lust right or, or just desires for things or, or indulging in in a lustful or covetous desire for something but not actually acting on it um that's that he's already said that's sin but where does the lust come from where i mean what, what, what's what's in behind the lust why do you want to do things that that god would say you wouldn't want to do and that's where concupiscence is. So, so the, 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 it's, it's the underlying attraction, the underlying, maybe a common, a, a modern word might be orientation. Mm. Um, uh, yes, uh, we have a sinful orientation. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inclination towards something that God has forbidden. And, and you can have those without actually acting on it. So yeah, you, I, you might, as a married man, you might see a woman walking down the street who's very beautiful, and you might know that within yourself is the capacity to chase that woman down and 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 be with her if you but, but you know you shouldn't the 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 inclination toward an adulterous approach toward that woman whether in thought or indeed that's 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 concupiscence or coveting um, i mean that's what apostle yeah. paul says in romans 7 you know if I but even if it doesn't heard... get to that level even as the level of actually indulging in that like just if it's, right but if i'm it's, saying the capacity yeah. for it yeah. is the exact same thing i mean it doesn't have to just it's, it's easy to to punt to lust all the time particularly in the context of what we're speaking but yep. but i think if we see the world um riven as it is by uh sin uh lust is one of the flesh you know lust of the flesh the eyes and the pride of life and so we see um you know the 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 unbelievable uh, having the 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 orientation towards envy the orientation towards jealousy the orientation towards covetousness right. um you know which lies at the only reason pinterest and instagram has any you know followers or money because this this is our default position our default orientation is 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 that of 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 um you know the lust of the flesh right the frone sarcos and so we have concupiscence uh, half doth the nature of sin i mean that's what it is because it is almost by itself the the sort of catch-all term for sin itself like the ability to be a sinful person which jesus did not is the orientation of brokenness which we carry because of adam and so to deny that that itself is something you don't need to repent of is to essentially deny that we don't need a savior. I mean, that's the whole argument. That's the whole, yeah. and, and if we've talked about before, but it bears repeating, you know, it lies squarely at the heart of the entire reformation because when Luther 
realize, you know, what has been attributed to him properly, the theological concept of simu used to set peccator, that you are simultaneously, you know, sinful in your, in your flesh, and yet by faith justified, and, um, you, you know, you're simultaneously sinful and justified, then that opens up an incredible vista of repenting possibilities, because you can, as article is, um, uh, the first of his 30, uh, 95 theses says, the entire life of the Christian is one of repentance. Well, if you could somehow, um, simply by uh, abstaining from your concupiscence, somehow uh, alleviate the need for repentance, well, how could your entire life be that? Except for the fact that what you find out is in the walk of the believer is the deeper um, sort of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, as Paul says, you know, deeper sense of the painfulness, however minute, of the existence of sin, which in often cases is concupiscence, and that becomes the life of, of faith in joyful recognition that this side of heaven, you'll never be rid of it, and yet, because of Christ, you have been redeemed and forgiven. And that's, that was at the heart of the entire Reformation, because if it was by degree that somehow you got righteous before God, if somehow you eventually, by the end of your life, you were able to be spotless and pure enough to enter into his presence, well, then, of course, people rightly then ask, well, what about old Uncle Joe? Like, he was as big a scoundrel as anyone. Where is he? And then you get the whole doctrine of purgatory. You get the whole thing, uh, which all snowballed down until it ran into the Bible and was melted, thank God, uh, to abuse a metaphor, uh, um, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the simple reading of the words of Scripture. And so, again, back to the whole concept of revoice, a clear and just straightforward reading of Scripture clearly delineates the importance of the body, the created design of men and women, the obvious ways that we will take upon ourselves in sinful realities to abuse and dishonor our bodies amongst each other, and what God has done to identify that and then address that in his son. And then to try to to sort of find some middle ground between the two, which is what Revoice is doing, is um, doomed to fail from the start. And we now have, uh, you know, years and years of this of observing this, and it's, as like I said before, just um, growing more and more tragic um, in every iteration. And I pray um, that people will find release and redemption uh, and healing from some of these obviously very disturbing and besetting real sinful realities they find themselves in. But I don't think these are the these are not the means by which they're going to find that type of um, of of uh, satisfaction. And um, and and I think that we're going to just well, yeah, I don't think there's any hope in this avenue uh, to find what they're looking for. Um, you know, concupiscence isn't something to play around with. And I, 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 this is also something that, that um, Anne brought out in her articles. You know, there's the movement with uh, the spiritual friendship movement, um, for example. We're going to have liturgies with vows, we say, with our same-sex partners. We're just not going to have sex. We're, we're, gonna, we're not going to lust after each other, but we're going to live together as partner as as i guess friend i mean it's friendship right that's that's naive uh, you're you're putting yourself in a position where where concupiscence can easily burst into flame the flame of lust and then the flame of of actual of actual sin and it, and it it, there, it does not make any sense to do that i mean if, if I, I i think that uh, a man and a woman who aren't married can be friends of course should they move in together? Should they take vows without uh, when they're married to someone else? <laughs> no, 
because because there's an underlying uh, direction of our sexual being um, toward the opposite sex that would be easily inflamed in those situations, and so we don't want to we don't want to do that. But the, the the philosophical basis of of revoice not identifying concupiscence of sin necessarily leads to these kinds of situations right. where you're going to put yourself in these in these places where uh, you're going to tell yourself this is just friendship, this is sanctified friendship. These desires or these attractions, these inclinations, this orientation is not in itself sinful, and 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 so, but it, but it shorn of the lust and of the activity, it really is a new kind of. And this is what they say. What they say is a new kind of a, a more special kind of friendship than heterosexuals can ever know. Yeah, not just um, new, we're, superior. We're, yeah, we're teaching the world. We're teaching. We're teaching the church how to be true friends. That's <laughs> that's self delusion, <laughs> and, and it's gonna end badly for a lot of those people who follow that who follow that line. I mean, maybe there are some who will be able to hold uh, hold the line all the way to death, but it's gonna end. Um, badly for many who try those experiments. Because we sin because we're sinners, not simply that we are sinners because of the sum of our sins. We are, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. (laughs) We, We are desperate to be saved from ourselves, from our orientations. Um, That's what we need. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and it's exactly right. And, and Matt, you know, part of the tragedy of that further denigration of the created goodness of the interrelated ontology of men and women as the image of God. I mean, this is what really lies at the heart of all of these discussions is that it's difficult. It's supremely difficult for men and women to interrelate to each other as sinners which is the points to the importance of that very image and the place where reconciliation is most desperately needed. Because the idea that you would find, I mean, I think Anne was mentioning a book, I think it's called Queer Sex. I think I have it, I bought it, it's on my um, research library wall, but um, but I haven't read it. But she was mentioning that they were talking about the superiority of same-sex relationships and sort of the longevity and kind of the instances of abuse and all these things. And in a certain degree, you want to say, well, because you know the sort of the the similarities between two men or two women living together, having the same appetites, desires, similar physiology, similar psychologies. Well, it makes sense to a certain degree that a friendship might be more readily um, uh, sort of easily attained in that sort of setting. The difficulty comes, as any married person would know, as any um, or, or wanted to be married person knows, is when you put um, the two sort of uh, complementary. Uh, images of God together to work in the the sort of the difficult work of how different they are created, how different the, the desires, appetites, physiologies, psychologies, whatever the case. And yet that's precisely in that inner relation, the image of God um, on earth. I mean, that's what we see. Let us make male and female in our image. And so the further denigration and sort of um, sort of dismissal of the complexity and the Yes, the difficulty, but more importantly, out of that difficulty, a picture of the importance, which then downplays the uh, the imagery, the male-female imagery of, of Christ and the church, of husband and wife, father and mother, all down through the Bible and ends up, as with all of these discussions, undermining your trust 
in the scriptures, undermining your trust in your own eyes and sort of reason as you consider your own body and your sort of relationship to um, just the actual natural law of human physiology with respect to procreation and uh, created parts and members and all the things that, that come with that. Um, it begins to further undermine all of your confidence in, the, in whether God is, is there, is spoken, and is for you. Because these people, one of the most tragic things of reading these um, accounts is how desperate a lot of these people feel, even as Christians, with respect to their understanding of God. I mean, reading the transgender, the people who have who are finding it, 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 odds with their own body, you know, how could God make me like this? You know, the people who are praying, you know, um, so convinced that their sexuality is the most important thing, and yet seeing it at odds with the Bible, you know, railing, how could God have made me this way? You know, this understanding of their of what's important in light of the scriptures can't help but but turn god into a sort of mercurial tyrant you know a puritanical zeus throwing lightning bolts at some of these sort of sexual deviants and it's heartbreaking to watch and i think you know, we've talked about this. You've been involved explicitly on the front lines of this, Matt. Uh, we have been uh, in the background, but but recently joining the, the ACNA and things, knowing that this will be a place where the defense and the upholding of this position with respect to God's design for human sexuality will be increasingly difficult. And yet, as we have often said and have often seen, the wreckage that comes as a result of living this lie for an extended amount of time is great. But the redemption that God has offered in the midst of that is even greater. And story after story of people who have uh, been beset by the lie that their sexual identity or gender identity is the most important thing about them being delivered from that world and given a sense of hope and redemption, however imperfect. And yet it is so much more joyful, so much more um, life-giving and so much more Christian sounding, you know, about Jesus and his blood for me and his redemption and his hope. And God has said, and there is hope and joy. And yes, it's imperfect and all of the things. Well, that's what we keep holding out for when respect to talking about revoice, not, I should say, maybe if I sound offensive, I am, because it's not that we have, I have a particular obsession with wanting to point out all the errors. It's because we have, as pastors, seen the, the results of the life of this persistent error and are prayerful that we will be in the right place to offer healing, redemption, and hope when the Holy Spirit opens people's eyes to some of the, the additional slavery they've undertaken by, by buying into this lie that the most constitutive aspect of their identity is the people with whom they want to they be intimate. And that's just not true. You know, I think it's important to bring it back around to, to revoice and you know, there's some important questions that I think Anne asks in her article, and I think that Revoice needs to answer, um, and the church needs to answer about Revoice. I mean, they're they're, they're making um, it's a I guess a reform a, a PCA Presbyterian Church in America is the I think the home denomination for Revoice, but there but we have two ACNA people um, on the or no one ACNA person on the board, and this movement is is catching steam in the Southern Baptist Convention. But we, you know, it's important that the church ask Revoice, what exactly does it mean for someone like Missy Irons to be center stage at at the Revoice 2021? Someone who is who expressly believes that gay sex is okay within, or is better than than not 
within a within a, a, a quote unquote marriage. Um, what does it mean to call side A people brothers and sisters? And you know, why does Revoice embrace and promote speakers who do that? Who blur? Who seem to blur the line between? Uh, side A and, and side side B is the church willing to receive revoice, knowing uh, if it's if that if it proves the case, knowing that revoice has has apparently uh, relegated the question to a non-essential. That's right. Um, because the and, the and the reason that's important is because the church is is supposed to be well, the church has the cure of souls. And, and we have people in our congregations who have same-sex attraction, um, who don't feel comfortable in their bodies. And uh, if they see the church embracing the idea that sexuality is a non-essential question, then, then you can be sure some of them will say, hey, look, if, if, uh, if Missy Irons, who thinks gay sex is fine, is considered a Christian, then I'm I'm going to be, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I mean, my, my, uh, my pastor might disagree with me, but it's, I'm still within the pale of orthodoxy. I'm not endangering my soul. The problem is you are, <laughs> that's, that's the, the, the Bible is very clear about this. So by, by accepting revoice, if in fact, revoice does not uh, see this as an essential issue by accepting revoice, we, the church, endangers the souls of those who are same-sex attracted and who right. have trouble with their with their identities and and, and that i think is a is a uh, would be a betrayal of the gospel yes and and for the acna i think in particular given the house of bishops uh statement you know our pastors who are uh persisting in both using um not just using because they were clear to say obviously we slip up here and there but but teaching um, and perpetuating this idea of quote unquote gay Christianity uh, without um, like, what do we do about them? Because it is clearly stated that that is uh, obviously we're not word police and we make mistakes and we misspeak and all that, but are you actually perpetuating and defending this position, which is, has been stated rightly so as not, not only not pastoral, but not in keeping in line with the gospel. I mean, this is a, this is perpetuating a lie, which is we, we have been. And so what do we do about that in the church is a question that I think also needs to be answered because, you know, I'm all, I, I misspeak as much as anyone. And of course the language comes quickly and we're all beset by it. So I'm not an interested in, in um, bringing people up on charges for misspeaking, but there are people who legitimately seem to agree with the direction Revoice is going, who are in positions of authority within our church and others. And you're exactly right, Matt, we need to question and be concerned about what, how do we, how do we deal with this? Um, because if it is cruel, in fact, um, to perpetuate this, well, then um, that's what needs to be identified uh, by the people in charge. There are, as you said, lots of questions to be asked. I think we would encourage everybody to listen to these revoice talks for themselves, read Anne's article, uh, talk to your pastors, know what they think, ask them what the good news is and how it comes to bear on questions like this. Pray. Yeah. Read, <laughs> read the, the bishop's statement. Read, read the bishop's statement. Yeah. Soak yourself in the scriptures. Um, we have 
come to the end of our time this week. Something tells me that we'll be talking about these situations and these questions again, um, but not today. If you'd want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. You can rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. We are grateful that you took the time to listen today. Uh, thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,